Welcome to Living with Purpose, the interview series where Francis Lynch speaks to various people about what purpose means to them and explores what gives them the energy to do what they do. Most people have got a story to tell, and these interviews show that extraordinary stories come from ordinary and not-so-ordinary people. So listen on as we explore purpose and meaning, and hopefully learn a little about some great people. My guest today is Penny Robinson, who I met at the Progress 2015 conference in Melbourne in May 2015. Penny is an assistant lecturer in the School of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Monash University. She's also the principal biostatistician within the Women's Health Research Program there. Penny is also an ambassador for the ICANN Network, which is a movement dedicated to driving a rethink of the autism spectrum amongst young people and the community, away from I can't to I can Penny was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome when she was 14, and she's been publicly advocating in this space in recent years. I hope that you enjoy the chat that Penny and I had. I'm sorry about the background brown noise. We were in a pretty busy hotel lobby. So, Penny, welcome to the, um, the podcast and agreeing to be part of this. Um, uh, I've read out a really sort of uh, formal introduction then, background to who you are and, and what you're about. But can you tell me just in your own words a little bit about yourself and, and um, yeah, who you are, where you're from? Yeah. So my name's Penny and I'm an assistant lecturer at Monash University. I've been there for five, just over five years and... I do some research into women's health and I also do some teaching and I'm increasing my teaching responsibility this year and I also volunteer for the ICANN Network which is a rethink on autism, making autism mean I can not I can't. So we focus on the strengths of the spectrum and we're different to other organisations in that we run from by people on the spectrum for people on the spectrum. That sounds really interesting. And so how long have you been involved in the ICANN network? I'm actually one of the founders of the ICANN network. Our first meeting was on the 19th of September 2013 at Monash University. And at that stage, there were only three of us. But now, like, there's... Oh, 60 or 70 volunteers we've got we've grown quite rapidly especially after our young adults camp in March this year because we'd been established for a while that meant that after our camp this year people who were engaged with and like the idea of I can had more stuff to do yeah whereas last year we had our first camp over our first camp ever for young adults from 18 to 30. Our first camp was over the Anzac Day weekend last year. And because we were only six months old, that meant that people who liked the idea of I can didn't have much stuff to do. So I've certainly noticed more people coming on board after the second young adults camp. So it sort of gave them an idea of what it might be like and they heard, do you think people sort of heard stories from other people they knew about what had gone on and how it had gone? 
Well, there was a, there was one girl who said on the first night of the first camp, basically, I've been looking for a network for ten years. I finally found one, but she had medical issues last year because she has medical issues as well as Asperger's. But after the camp this year, because we were we'd started having a workshop night every Wednesday in the city of Melbourne. She's then started coming to workshop night and several other people who were on the camp have also started coming to workshop night, which has meant that our team isn't just the like, 10 core enablers anymore. Yeah. We've got the 10 core enablers and we've got people doing stuff. Yeah. So, and, and so it sounds like this is really important to you. You're, yeah. you're really finding this is something that's uh, giving you a lot of um, purpose and energy in what you're yeah. doing. Because I was diagnosed as having Asperger's syndrome at the age of 14 and a half when I was in year nine. And as I've said in a, in a few speeches and videos and talks, like when I was first diagnosed in year nine, I didn't know anyone else on the spectrum. And I tell the story of halfway through first year uni, one of my friends, Lara, had been sleeping over at someone's house after role-playing club or whatever was on Thursday and her friend had told Lara that she had Asperger's because she'd been sleeping over every Thursday night after role-playing for the semester and Lara's response to this disclosure was so does Penny because I'd I'd disclosed to Lara already so then that Friday, about lunchtime, Lara told me in the in the campus centre, "Hey Penny, I've been meaning to tell you all morning. A has Asperger's." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here I was in the campus centre, jumping up and down from excitement of finally knowing someone else who I already knew that had Asperger's, yeah. and this was four years after my diagnosis. So, so you're saying that, that for those four years, from 14 to around 18, um, that you didn't really find anyone else in your network who, who you'd come across who had Asperger's as well? No. Yeah, and so, so it really made a huge difference when you found someone that you could go and sort of talk to or, or yeah, explain that, that to me. Well, like the thing is, like, I always knew that I was a bit different. Yeah. And like, the diagnosis helped me pinpoint the difference. Yeah. And so like, the fact that I met someone else, like, it kind of was like, well, like, yeah, I'm different, but other people are also different like I'm different. Yeah. And given that like, there's a statistic out of the Australian Bureau of Statistics from 2012, that 86% of students with autism experience difficulty in schools, including bullying. And I was one of the... While I was part of that statistic, I was bullied. But the thing is that I had a strong family support, so the bullying didn't get to me. But, of course, and now I'm accepted for who I am, even by the bullies. (laughs) But, of course, I think that if I'd known about my di- if I'd been diagnosed earlier and known about my diagnosis earlier, then and known people, other people with Asperger's, like when I was going through secondary school, 
even when I was being bullied, it probably would have helped because yeah. you think, yeah, I've got Asperger's, I'm being bullied. But like, my mates that I ha hang out with once a month at the support group, they've also got Asperger's and they've, they're also being bullied. Yeah. So I think that just knowing other people in the, in the same situation as you is pretty powerful. Yeah. So when, um, obviously, you, you talked about I Can Network, and, yeah. and what I've heard you say is, is that it's about what I can rather yeah. than what I can't. Yeah. And um, so what's what's brought you to that space where it's really about the positive message of, of I can? What, what's, what have been the major things that have, you've been involved in that have actually brought you to that space of saying that's the message I'm really connected to? Yeah. So the I Can Network started out of Chris Varney, our Chief Enabling Officer, so CEO with a different lovely catchy title that lots of people like. Yep. So Chris gave a TEDx talk in, I think it was May 2013, before I'd met him. I saw the talk. It's really impressive. It's yeah. A, it's a very engaging talk. And the talk to, for the podcast listeners, the name of this talk is Autism, How My Unstoppable Mother Proved the Experts Wrong. And what I'll do in the, uh, the notes to the podcast, I'll actually put the link to the TEDx talk because I really think it's a great one for people to go and see. Yes, I, reg I regularly tweet it and like, before recording this podcast, I managed to plug the ICANN network to Tracy Spicer. When I finish giving this interview, the first thing I'm doing is tweeting that link to Tracy Spicer. Great. <laughs> but Chris gave a talk, a TEDx talk, and Kay Gardner, who's the one of the directors of the Social Justice Unit at Monash Uni. I'm also, as part of my Monash work, I am the staff rep on the Monash Disability Committee. Okay. And Kay, after a meeting in July in 2013, after the meeting had finished, basically said, oh, Penny, you got to Google Chris's TEDx talk and told me what it was called. So... I I watched the TEDx talk because like, TEDx talks brilliant invention. Yeah. So many people have got the internet, have got broadband, and can watch TEDx talks now. Yeah. So it means that even if you don't attend the TEDx talk, you can still watch it later. And it, Chris's TEDx talk and Tim Chan's TEDx talk are great resources for ICANN to keep on like, linking to. But after Chris gave his TEDx talk, he said that he was getting a lot of like, emails from people saying, like, I've watched your talk, like, what's going, but basically what's next? Yeah. Or like, I agree with what you're saying. So that's what started him starting the ICANN network. So did you meet Chris after you'd watched that video? Yeah. So you made connection with him somehow and, and so the ICANN network sort of come as a result of those communications or those discussions that you and others were having? So what happened was that because Chris Varney is an alumni of Monash Uni, he did law and arts, and he met Jane Zong, another founding member, through Ampago in Pago, however you say that leadership program, I can never pronounce pronunciate it properly. Okay, all right. 
I'm not sure I know it, so maybe I'll I'll have to get the link to, from it. Yeah, later. I'll I'll have to find the spelling of it, and if it you might need, be a Melbourne thing, is it? You, you might need to edit. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Anyway, they they met through like I'll call it the AI leadership program because it, the name starts with A and I. All right. Like, they met in this leadership program, and then they wanted to. Like, James also got on board, and they sent an email. Got an email sent around the disability liaison unit at Monash to all students who were registered with them who had Asperger's to say meetings for people with Asperger's and this was in 2013 when I was working but I was also studying the graduate certificate in academic practice and luckily the meeting at Clayton was scheduled to be on a Thursday which was when I had teaching in the afternoon and I actually had teaching from 11 till 12 I had to introduce a lecturer and then from 1 till 5.30 and this meeting this Asperger's meeting was in my lunch spot. Oh, that's very good then. It worked out perfectly. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> like, at that first meeting, there were only the three of us, Chris and James and I. Yeah. Okay. Oh, just the three of you? Yeah, okay. there were just the three. And you're now the three three of the main people in, in yeah. uh, the ICANN network. So Chris is the Chief Enabling Officer. James was the Monash person last year but this year he's the tertiary coordinator okay. because we've got more that we've got more universities now and also last year James is doing his honours this year James is doing his PhD so it's a good step up for him to be responsible for all of the universities which we're of course hoping to grow yeah so, so the, this podcast is around talking with people about their purpose so yeah. is the ICANN network part of what you see as your purpose definitely like i when i finished all of my study up to my masters that was the end of 2009 and i knew that the change from going to like doing uni to finding a job was going to be a challenge because i'd only ever known studying (laughs) and i was 27 when i finished studying so I started going along to Asperger's Victoria and they have guest speaker evenings and one guest speaker evening a year is the adult panel and in 2012 they had a discovering diagnosis panel which I spoke at and the other thing is they often want a couple of females and a couple of males to speak and because a lot more males and females are diagnosed at the moment, that means that gender imbalance basically means if they need a female to talk about something, <laughs> often it's like, penny. Yeah, they roll you out. Yes, I have actually spoken at three consecutive years. So 2012 was that discovering diagnosis. 2013 was working successfully which I actually recorded using PowerPoint as I gave it, so I can send the link through about yep. that. Yep. And 2014 was Becoming Independent, which I was tapped on the shoulder in July last year because in November 2013 I moved out of home. 
Okay. So I I joked with Robin, the coordinator of the groups. Hey, Robin. The topic of the Asperger's Victoria guest speaker evenings are following me. <laughs> following your life. Yes, they were definitely follow. They were definitely following my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, do you think that where you are now? So, do you think that say if I'd asked you the same question five years ago or ten years ago, would it have been different in terms of what you would have seen as being what you were really? Trying to achieve what your purpose was. Yeah. So it's changed over time. Well, I, I'm I'm 32 now, so like, 10 years ago, and I regularly have this conversation with people at work because it always freaks them out. 10 years ago, I was doing my honours in the Department of Epidemiology and Preventive Medicine, which is now the School of Public Health and Preventive Medicine where I work. So I was a student for a while and then I started working there. So when I say it's 10 years ago since I did honours, what? (laughs) So does a lot of them remember you from when you were a student? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously 10 years ago when I was doing honours, I was focused on doing my honours and towards the end... I worked out that I loved crunching numbers and I was good at the crunching numbers, so the biostats or stats side of things. Lots of people don't give a rats about stats. I worked out that was a strength, so that was where I was tapping into my Asperger's strengths and following my own path. And my dad was a mathematician and statistician, now he's he only ret- he retired less than a month ago, so Ooh, wow. <laughs> using the was term is yeah. still new. But he's been doing lots of modelling and things like that, and like stockpiles and sampling. But I was always interested in the medical field, so it yeah. makes sense that I used my strength of statistics, but going into the medical field that interested me. So it's, it's pretty important to you as well, by the sounds of it. Yeah. I mean, you're, like, you're really into that. You know, it's a great sort of love of yours. Yeah, and don't get me started on the NMO and autism bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> because, okay. <laughs> because that's, that's a field where I can, I can apply my epidemiology knowledge yeah. and also being on the spectrum myself. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've got a few slides that I occasionally pull out for teaching purposes. I joke with one of my colleagues that those slides are the penny soapbox. So the, the community perception of autism has really changed over the last, well, 10 years, but, you know, if you go back 30, 40, 50 years, it's changed. Like, it's a worldview change. Yeah. It? But I think with the MMR autism stuff, I think... Part of the reason why people still believe that the MMR vaccine causes autism, even though it doesn't, is because autism is feared. Well, if you still put it into Google, it'll come up. There's articles, even recent articles, that people will find, you know, where people will try and make those links. And someone I was connecting with yesterday was alleging that her, her nephew got autism from his six-month jabs. Yeah. So, you know what I'll be doing tomorrow. (laughs) Politely, 
putting my view across and giving some journal articles to back it. Yeah, so there's lots of evidence that that's not the case at all. Yeah. So for you now, you're saying, obviously, you know, you've had this... um, this journey, you're in a very different space than you were when you were 14. Yeah. And, you know, you've found uh, the ICANN network obviously is a way that you're really able to um, uh, be involved in the uh, in the community and to, to really be trying to make a difference to people who yeah. are living on the spectrum. Um, so what, where do you sort of see yourself, say, in another 10 or 15 years? Do you... Um, do you think that your purpose is going to be the same or that you might change as you as you grow? Well, certainly like, in some of the progress talks that we've just been listening yep. to, because this is being recorded after the Progress 2015 conference, yep. like, some of the stuff that has been talked about is about storytelling yep. and stories of people actually on the spectrum are powerful yeah. and I've been in my I've been in my job at Women's Health Research Program at Monash for five plus years so the only thing that will make me not be in my job is if NHMRC don't fund our research which is like another problem in itself yeah. but that means that like, I'm established in my job. Yeah. I've got a good track record of publications. I've got a good track record of teaching, yeah. which I'm trying to continue to build. So that means that I've got a secure platform that enables me to tell my story of being on the spectrum. Yeah. So after the Victorian Autism Conference last year, I was asked if I was prepared to be interviewed and photographed for an article in The Age to go alongside an article, well, part of an article, where a group from the Olga Tension Research Centre at La Trobe Uni, some of their results were coming out about tertiary students and whether they disclosed about their Asperger's or autism yep. or not. Yep. And I was asked, oh, are you happy to share your story as part of this article? And I said yes without a second's thought because my Asperger's is common knowledge at work anyway because of the SPHP and E news and I just talk about it. And my grandma gave me the book All Cats Have Asperger's Syndrome for my 28th birthday. (laughs) And if you haven't read it, read it because... All of the there were lots of cute pictures of kitty cats and the words ring true as well. So when I got that, it lived in my it lived in my bag for six months and was basically the disclosure tool that made my Asperger's be from those who need to know know to all of sundry know because yeah. I'd been showing this book to so many people. And and do you think that um, it gives? Uh... Like, are there some people you know who live with Asperger's or autism who, who find that very hard to actually disclose to other people about, you know, their life? Yeah. And I guess also, like, like my the article that I appeared in The Age was, yeah. like, the, like, the line, like, basically, like, students with autism are worried about discrimination yeah. was kind of the the slant of the article. So, so some, going back to that bullying sort of theme a bit? Or, so yeah. some people don't disclose because they're worried that they might 
be discriminated against and be part of the 58% of people on the spectrum who are unemployed. Yeah. But because because I'm highly educated, I got good marks at school, was able to go to uni, do honours, get yeah. my masters, and then when I was doing my masters, I'd been doing tutoring, like sessional tutoring, so getting paid like the three, four hundred dollars for your four hours of tutoring yeah, yeah. one afternoon a week. Yeah. That meant that like, I was known in the uni system, so I actually, like the job I'm in, I didn't apply for, I got an email titled potential research position. Yeah, yeah. So, so they recognised that you had these strengths and they really wanted you as part of the team. Yeah, so yeah. they wanted my survival analysis skills because I'd done a subject on survival analysis and they had a breast cancer study that had been following women who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer yep. from like, within a year of their diagnosis to 5.7 years after their diagnosis. And like, they wanted to, like, they wanted someone who would be able to crunch that. Yeah. So and, it sounds like you've got, like, you know, you've got your work at, at Monash and yeah. you've got the stuff that's going on at ICANN yeah. Network. I mean, there's obviously, I'm sure you've got all sorts of other things in your life as well, but the way you're describing those, I can really feel the passion and the energy that you have for those. Yeah. Um, so what gives you the energy to keep, uh, keep being positive and, and connected and, and working at those sorts of parts of your life? Well, one of my work colleagues got me onto Twitter. Yeah. And Basha, I would definitely like to thank for doing that yeah. <laughs> because... Earlier in the year, some people might have heard of Autism Speaks, which is an organisation in the US that is definitely different to ICANN. Yep. Like they seem to be all about fear about autism oh, and okay. like finding a cure yep. rather than where Chris and I and ICANN think that rather than finding a cure, we should be working out what's the best way to manage Asperger's or autism. So if someone's really highly anxious, what helps them get rid of their anxiety or manage their anxiety so they can live to the best of their ability and stuff like that? Live the best life that you can as you are. Yeah, Yeah. and Autism Speaks turned 10 towards the end of February. And they started a Twitter hashtag, Autism Speaks 10. And it was basically, we're turning 10 on Wednesday, tell us how we've changed your life. And they were expecting all of these glossy comments about how Autism Speaks has made their lives better. But the hashtag, actually autistic people, hijacked this hashtag something brilliantly yeah. I've now got I can and myself have now got followers in the U- US and UK because I joined in this hijacking <laughs> <laughs> so okay. then is to say when when my when Chris rang me at uh, whatever I got seven o'clock that night and I got to touch yeah. base with me and see how I was I uh, like I started the conversation with hi Chris Guess what? It's seven, and I'm still in my pajamas <laughs> because I got distracted on the computer. <laughs> well, Twitter, I think, is great. I mean, I I also have been using Twitter over the last three or four years, and I've made really quite strong connections with people in in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, 
you know, a few conversations with people in the UK and the US, and I've got the same experience as you. It's just pretty amazing how it's changed the way that you you sort of connect with people. Yeah. And, and you find people have got the same issues as you, or the same interests. And Nick, I was over in Adelaide in February actually to present the findings of the breast cancer survival analysis, as it happens. Yeah. It, it, it took a while to get there, but finally there. And I was at the Young Statisticians Conference in Adelaide, and that was Thursday, Friday. But I had some leave up my sleeve, so I, I flew to Adelaide on the Tuesday and came home on the Sunday. So I put out on Twitter and, and Facebook, but mainly Twitter, to basically say Ambassador Penny is in Adelaide, free on Wednesday, free on Saturday. Yep. And a, a few people came out of the woodwork, to, like on Twitter especially, to say, yeah, you should talk to like, I'm interested. Or, go and speak to and yeah. I also was told you should talk to Catherine and Neil, etc. And one of the conversations I had over in Adelaide... I tried ringing Heidi at noon on sat on stinking hot Saturday, forecast to be 40 degrees. Yeah. So needless to say, I was lying low in the accommodation for a while. Yeah. Tried ringing her at lunchtime, 12:30. Didn't get her on the on the mobile phone. And then after I'd finished having lunch, I was in in my room, just checking social media having a bit of a relax and then I noticed that Heidi had tweeted so I direct messaged Heidi a bit of direct messaging backwards and forwards and we actually organized she was free so we organized to meet up in 20 minutes because she was gonna she was gonna she was gonna drive to North Adelaide and meet me so Occasionally, I will actually start a conversation on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, it's just amazing. Stuff. Yeah. So, yes, social media, I occasionally will get distracted and not do the I can network thing that I wanted to get done. But this morning, I tweeted at Tracy Spicer. She responded to me and now I've connected with her. So because I got into her network on Twitter, I was then able to pull her aside at the end of the conference and give her my card and she wants to keep in contact. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that, that's a, it's a really good thing. And, and hopefully, you know, with her contacts in the media, she's going to bring you some, some good exposure and that's, that's really what's important, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you think, um, you know, again, this conversation, part of it is around, around purpose. I mean, if somebody was um, sort of trying to wonder and, and think, well, you know, what am I passionate about? What's my purpose? Where am I going? And they were sort of trying to work that out. How, what do you know from what's happened for you in your life? What do you think would be some advice that you'd give them? Like, I've, I've said in a couple of the talks and videos that I've done, I, I, I like a quote that Professor Rita Jordan said in her plenary of the Victorian Autism Conference last year, yeah. the biggest gift you can give to people with autism is time. Yeah. So my family was supportive and allowed me time to work out where I wanted to go. Yeah. So 
I moved out less than a I moved out of home less than a month before my 31st birthday, but I moved out of the family home straight into a two-bedroom unit that I basically own. Yeah. Because after I started working full-time, I was able to live at home for three and a half years while I saved and saved and saved. Yeah. But also, I wasn't ready to move out and rent when I started working. But when I did move out, I was ready to move out yeah. because like, the family dynamics had changed. I'm the oldest of four girls. There's eight years between me, like, four, like there's seven and a half years between me and my twin sisters. So when I was going through like undergrad, they were still at school. Yeah. I was in, I was in my se- I was in my third of four years of my masters when my my twin sisters finished school. Yeah. So that meant that while I was doing all of my uni schooling study. and uni, yeah. like, they were doing schooling. They finished first year uni as I submitted my masters. So that meant that I, like, I was kind of finding my feet and just studying work as they were finding their feet at uni. So, and I guess I've also like always been comfortable with who I am. So when I was in year six, and I was doing Quest, which was like the high achiever group activities. There are lots of things we could do, but I wrote a book called Sally's Speech Problem Ah. because you can probably tell I've got a lisp. I actually had lots of speech therapy when I was a kid, when I was in three and four year old kinder because kinder teacher recognised the problem. My parents could understand me because they'd grown up with my poor speech and I also needed speech therapy in years four, five and six and in year eight and one of the girls in year six was teasing me about my speech problem and my lisp and so that was kind of what motivated me to write this book. Anyway, like after my class teacher had read the book when it was finished, she actually thought it was quite good and she arranged for me to read this book to the class. So here I am re- reading, reading the book, sitting on a chair with everyone else sitting on the mat. Oh my goodness, was it fun to see Michelle squirm on the mat. <laughs> so yes, I got, my re- that, I got my revenge on that bully big time, didn't I? <laughs> so what um, are the things that, uh, that you do now that sort of um, you, you're really finding helpful in terms of keeping you committed and, and uh, you know, really engaged in what you're doing? Are there things that you read or things that you do or books or podcasts or anything like that? So I like listening to the real people talk autism either live or podcast if I miss it. So that's a radio show on Phoenix FM. So it's here in Melbourne? Uh, it's actually in Bendigo. Oh, okay. Right. But if you go to the Phoenix FM website, you can listen live or you can download the podcast. So is the podcast on iTunes as well, do you think? Uh, it's on Podomatic. Podomatic, okay. 
And so I, I like listening to that and like Beck Kelly I, I met at the Victorian Autism Conference last year yeah. and I certainly like connecting with people and I, what I didn't like about the conference was the fact that like, stuff was bang, 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 bang. So like, after the crowdfunding workshop, after I'd been talking to a few people afterwards, I then had to sneak in the back of the next session. So I would have actually liked long, longer breaks. Yeah. I think it was, um, uh, I'm hoping that they're going to send us links with some of the presentations and, and whatnot afterwards because um, I was a bit the same. It was a bit uh, difficult to even decide which sessions to go to at times. There was lots on. Yeah. Um, I know you've spoken quite a bit about ICANN now. Yeah. Um, how would the listeners of the podcast, how would they find it? Where, where would they go? So you can go to our website, www.icannetwork.com.au. And we're also on Twitter, which is I underscore can underscore network. Yep. And Instagram, same address. <laughs> and we're also on Facebook. And I can send the link through so you can... Yeah. But if they go to the website, the, everything else would be sort of connected from there. They could find the connections for Facebook and all the rest of it as well. Our website at the moment isn't very well done. Hopefully it will be better done by the time the podcast goes up. <laughs> it's called our, our website, our senior website developer does not know very much WordPress, but... The website, when it was developed extremely quickly, WordPress was chosen. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm sure you'll get around to that eventually. So, yeah, they are in the process of redesigning the website, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, is there anything, as we get closer towards the end of this conversation, is there anything that you'd want to um, sort of talk about that you haven't had the chance to sort of talk about? And I guess also just to keep on persisting, yeah. But I was having panic attacks in year in year twelve, and my coping strategy was sitting on the end of like, end of the aisle in first year because like, when I was when in, you got to uni yeah yeah but the thing was that my panic attacks were in this were in the school assembly hall, so practical Penny was thinking oh shit. This is a similar environment to the uni lecture theatre. So I knew that I needed a coping mechanism to deal with any panic, any potential panic attacks at uni. So my coping strategy was actually to, I I disclosed about the panic attacks to basically all and sundry because that was my coping strategy because at that stage, the lecture theatres were very much crowned in. A lot of the, since then, a lot of the lecture theatres have been refurbished and look a lot nicer than when, like, 15 years ago when I was starting uni. Yeah. But the thing is that because I had done that disclosure and I had the coping mechanism, I only had to exit once in first year. So, because people I sat near knew. If I tap them on the shoulder, you it's, be- to get out quickly. it's because I want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> but and, only once. You only needed to do that once. And guess what? The one time I needed to do that, 
who was sitting, like there were lots of people sitting to the right of me in the aisle, which was the closest to the, uh, closest to the exit, none of the people who were sitting next to me knew. Uh. Murphy's Law. <laughs> but now I give lectures to 300 medical students. But, of course, if you told me back in the year 2000, which was when I started having panic attacks, that I'd now be giving talks about my Asperger's, that I'd be giving lectures to first-year medical students and first-year biomedical science students, which was just the course I did, yeah. I would have thought, oh, bullshit. And, and having your photo in the, the age and, yeah. and talking about it really publicly. So that you've, obviously you've come a long yeah. journey over the last 15 years and, and um, you know, you're very positive about how you're presenting yourself, which yeah. is, is obviously, you know, that has been a real change for yeah. you over those times. Yeah. So when I, when I applied for, when I, not when I applied for, when I successfully got my job at ASPEC, at Women's Health, yeah. I, I started in mid-April. It wasn't until the beginning of June that I disclosed to my immediate supervisor, Robin, and that actually was an emergency disclosure of, I am feeling so sick with anxiety, I am worried I'm going to chuck. Yeah, yeah. I was... I, her office door was closed. I was in tears, and Robin could pick up that I wasn't feeling Something well. Wasn't right. So I, but despite the fact that I was in tears, yeah. and you could say I was in a bit of an, an anxiety meltdown, I was able to work out. You need to tell Robin that you have got Asperger's, yeah. and you need to tell her now. <laughs> Not tomorrow. No. So, having done that one emergency disclosure, I, of course, realised, okay, you need to plan your disclosure so it doesn't happen, have to happen in an emergency like that. But, of course, I didn't... When I started that job, people knew me from the from the past, so I already had a track record, yeah. but I didn't tell about my Asperger's until six, seven, eight weeks into the job when I was having issues, whereas now, if you do a Google search for Penny Robinson Monash, yeah. you have to add the Monash to get... To get rid of all the other Penny Robinsons in the uh, To reduce the Penny Robinson lost in space stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, if you do a Google search for Penny Robinson Monash, the age article is actually the second thing that comes up. Okay. All right. So, if I was applying for another job, or just putting in doing my CV in general, people do Google. Oh, absolutely. When I, when I do it. Like, when looking for like because like, the last job that you advertised. How many jobs were you advertising for and how many applicants did you have? Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but you would have had more applicants than you had positions. Absolutely. So you need to filter people out. Yeah. So you've just admitted, you Google. Yeah. So I've basically decided, given that when I am Googled, yeah. the second link is about my age article. 
where I'm talking about my story of Asperger's, I've made the decision to include that article in my CV and and the fact that I have Asperger's in my CV because if I put myself in the shoes of the employer, if you Google me, find my article and I haven't told you, you might think that I have something to hide when I don't. Yeah, and and obviously what you've done over the last, well, however long, you know, whether it's five years or ten years or fifteen or twenty, but is that you've actually built a really successful life. Yes. And and you can be, you know, not just Penny who has Asperger's, but you can be Penny who actually is amazingly good at all these things. Yeah. Have been contributing in the workplace, contributing in the community, being an ambassador for an organisation. There's all these things that are you. Yeah, and I've got I've got 25 publications on my CV. Yeah, not because, many people can say that. <laughs> because as a biostatistician, you do the number crunching. Yep. So I don't have very many first author publications. But I've got a hell of a lot of second, third, fourth author publications because that's where the biostatistician lives. People rely on you. Yeah. So yeah. I've got the publications to, to back me. I've got my teaching experience to back me. I've got people who, are, who I've tutored for, who I've worked for to back me. Yeah. So I've now got the skills in my armoury if I am asked about my Asperger's in an interview, which I know any future interview will come up. Well, given you're putting it out there. Yeah. But the thing is that I know what my strengths are of attention to detail, being able to crunch numbers. But I also know what my weaknesses are, so I know what I need a little bit of extra help with. So the workplace can get the best out of me. So because I know myself well and I have the confidence to be able to, if I'm asked that in in an interview, I would be able to come out with a good answer. I think, well, now that I have appeared in The Age, I have no option. It has to be on my CV. Well, thank you for the conversation that we've had today. I mean, one of the comments you just said then was, is you know yourself well. And I yeah. think that's come across really well in the conversation that we've had today. And, you know, I'm really thankful that we've had this time together. Um, I can see that, you know, you're so in, in yourself. You, yeah. you know what you're about. You know who you are. I can see the purpose that you have in your life just shining through because it's just obvious. And, you know, thanks for the time. It's been such a lovely conversation. Thanks, Penny. Thanks, Francis. Thanks for listening to the Living With Purpose interview series. There are show notes for each episode that you can get on the www.livingwithpurposeinterviews.com website. You can also connect with Francis on Twitter at underscore Francis Lynch, on LinkedIn, or on email at francislynch.me at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode as a podcast, then subscribe on your player and tell your friends. Thanks, and join us again soon.